Good morning, friends. George Floyd's horrific murder in Minneapolis in May last year, the image of a white policeman kneeling on his neck, literally suffocating the life out of him, triggered global outrage and birthed the Black Lives Matter protest and the, the practice of, of taking the knee before sports matches. We know that exclusion has many forms, and one of the most pernicious is, is that of racial injustice. And that has reared its head in a horrific way over this pandemic. Just two weeks ago in the UK, it was Racial Justice Sunday. And as part of this talk, I've recorded a Zoom conversation with the Reverend Esther Pryor. Esther is a great friend and she's an inspiring Black African Church of England vicar. And I know that we're going to be challenged and we're going to be also inspired by what Esther, Esther has to say. And through this passage and through that conversation, I pray the Holy Spirit will put a mirror up to our hearts individually and for us at SML as well. As we explore this encounter between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. You know, we'll be reflecting as Christ followers on what it means for us to walk the way of radical inclusion. And it's critical that we understand uh, in this passage that the context and the idiom are very important for us to grasp. As Tom Wright has said, the tone throughout this encounter is one of teasing banter. So let's hold that in our minds so we don't misunderstand its heart and its message. Jesus was, and he is radically inclusive. You know, much of his ministry involved dismantling or, or simply smashing away walls of hostility and exclusion. And at his time, there were countless categories of, of people that were excluded from Jewish society and from the promises of the people of Israel. Groups like prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, and the largest group of all was that of Gentiles. And in this passage, Jesus is approached by a Gentile woman from Syrophoenicia in great need. So if you've got your Bibles or phones uh, with you, please open them at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. And Together, we'll initially look at four brief stages of this encounter and, and to, help of, to help us, each of them begin with R. Jesus left that place, which was Galilee, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. As so often happened in his ministry, Jesus was longing for some space. As his ministry had developed, his fame had spread, and wherever he went, larger and larger crowds would gather. And on this occasion, he'd also been involved in a stormy controversy with the Pharisees and the teach the law. And this had led to an acrimonious dispute. And Jesus had delivered some really hard-hitting teaching to them about the emptiness of some of their traditions and about the grubbiness of their hearts. And after that, not surprisingly, he longed for space. 
And so he traveled north outside of Jewish territories into Lebanon to seek to lie low there for a while and retreat. But typically his treat, his retreat had been disturbed. Word had leaked out that the compassionate healer was in town and there was a knock at the door and a woman who was clearly desperate threw herself at Jesus' feet. And just looking at her, Jesus could tell she wasn't a Jew, but she was a Greek from a region in South Syria. And she poured out her desperate need for Jesus to heal her daughter, to free her from demonic possession. And puzzling to our ears, Jesus responds with what sounds like a riddle. Firstly, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And if we think about it, if you or I went to our doctor with a severe problem and she made our treatment conditional on us solving a riddle, I think we'd be surprised. We would have expected her to ask us to describe our condition and at times perhaps to fill in a form. But to answer a riddle would have surprised us. And it seems that Jesus gave this riddle to this woman in order to test her understanding and her faith. And let's just stay with this challenge that Jesus gave just for a moment longer. Because in our own walk with Jesus, each of us will be aware that there are many occasions when we were asking for something and we might think that uh, our request is really urgent and, it, and, it, and it's fairly desperate. And in his response, there seems to be a pause. And in that pause, Jesus is wanting us to think more carefully about, is that what we're really asking for? Is that deep in our hearts? At times he wants to refine our faith. And he, at times he wants to see, will we be tenacious in pursuing a God-given dream? There have been times in the past where Fear and I have sent the Lord saying to us, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And this woman, this amazing mother, was not going to be put off by this riddle that Jesus had placed before her. She was going to pursue her daughter's healing. And we see her, in a sense, the riposte of her faith. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And to Jesus' riddle, she replied, Lord, even the dogs on the children, under the table eat the children's crumbs. You know, she understood that Jesus was a Jew and that his ministry was initially to Jewish people. But she also understood very profoundly that Jesus was offering a banquet that would be open to all and that the Gentiles would not be excluded from that. And alongside her understanding, she, she demonstrates this astonishing faith, recognising that even a crumb of Jesus' power could deliver her daughter from the demons. John Collins, who is an earlier vicar of HTB, used to describe faith as daring to believe, daring to believe God, his promises and his power. And that's what we see in this remarkable woman. And Jesus sees this incredible combination of faith and boldness. 
And in response to this, he gave the word for her daughter's deliverance. For such a reply, he says to this woman, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. Jesus is radically inclusive. He loves to bring freedom from oppression, freedom from exclusion. You'll see on your screens a very simple tweet that Hope for Justice uh, sent out this week. Freedom is non-negotiable. And in Jesus' eyes, it's definitely non-negotiable. And in this encounter, Jesus was demonstrating that in the kingdom of God, old barriers, old taboos were being swept away. The Gentiles were no longer being viewed as it were as dogs, but they were beloved children now. And ultimately this points to the cross, doesn't it? Where the king of the Jews becomes the saviour of the whole world. And we're going to think more about that now as we watch this conversation that I have with Esther. Right, so Esther, it is a real joy to be able to chat together this morning. It's and wonderful to be here, Andy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, thank you, Esther. And I, our wider SNL church community will, will love meeting you this morning. Uh, Esther, we serve together as Patchnish trustees for CPS, and it's been a real joy for me to get to know you. And uh, I love the fact that um, you're very committed to the Ministry of New Wine as well. And you're now leading, you're the vicar of St. John's Egham in Surrey. And I, know, um, yeah. I love hearing what's happening there. Um, so Esther, a few questions I would love to ask you. Okay. And the first is this. Um, you've told me that you, you came to faith in Jesus in your final year at university in Zimbabwe, and you began to sense a call to ordination. Can you tell us about that, first of all? Yeah. Um, I think, firstly, I want to say the power of invitation is part of the reason I'm here. So my friends at uni for two years invited me to things, and for two years I said no. And finally, I said yes, and I met Jesus under the African stars at a camp that uh, my church was running. Uh, it was quite a dramatic conversion. I had a vision. I saw Jesus, a story for another time. Uh, but I started having, um, I suppose, a change in my ambitions. That's the first thing I noticed. Uh, before then, very humbly, I had thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if I became the Secretary General of the United Nations? <laughs> so I was Small reading, aspirations. <laughs> small aspirations. I was reading politics. I started doing an MA in international relations, but my spirit mm. just felt unsettled, really. And someone suggested to me that God might be calling me. And uh, it was complex because... I was working this out in a church that didn't and still doesn't ordain women. Mm -hmm. And I think for me to hear this call, God had to speak really loudly. So uh, a series of quite dramatic God encounters over a period of two or three years finally led to God opening the door that led me to Trinity College in Bristol. And Esther, arriving at Trinity College in Bristol as a black African woman, um, did you feel warmly welcomed and 
widely included in the community there? I have to say absolutely. And there was a twist to the story in that um, I arrived in England, uh, but my suitcase didn't. So my <laughs> suitcase was stolen, it was never recovered. Um, and then um, in the days following, so was my passport and all my money. <laughs> so. I arrived at Trinity literally in the clothes I was standing in. Wow. And I found bags at my door because news had arrived mm. that this poor child from Africa is arriving with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the welcome was practical as well as loving. And there are people I met at Trinity who've remained close friends. A couple have become godparents to my children. Yeah and I theirs. Um, so yes, I, I felt really welcomed. Yeah, and Esther, um, you've got a very notable ministry now, and um, but have there been times as a black woman leader when you felt slightly excluded? That's a good question. Um, excluded might be too strong a word because mm. it's often more subtle than that. Yeah. Um, there are times when I felt like people want to treat me like their project. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, there are often times when I feel I have to prove I have earned my place at the table more than other people do, perhaps. Times when I am clearly underestimated. Uh, yeah. So microaggressions, I think, rather than the big mm. stuff. But yeah, it's there. Occasionally, the big guns come out. So when I was um, a student at Trinity and we all had to do um, uh, placements. Yes. Um, and the place where I was meant to go, they struggled to find a family to host me because they were nervous about hosting a black person. Yeah. And, mm. you know, it ended it well in the end but I ended up being placed with a stranger someone who was a stranger to the church who turned out to be an alcoholic and it all got really dramatic um and all that was because of nervousness um you know yeah. once people met me and which is how I found out because a few people repented of that attitude Yes. Um, and, you know, we're sorry that I ended up being in this difficult mm. situation. Uh, so that's, I suppose, slightly bigger story than the yeah. microaggressions. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Esther. And Esther, um, for, for local church communities like, you know, ours at SML, yours at St. John's Egham and, you know, right across the country, are there a, a, a couple of tips you would want to give us or, or you know perhaps some pointed challenges about how we can become more radically and healthily inclusive yeah um i think for people who love jesus to recognize that this issue is a gospel issue mm. and that the gospel itself offers the solution and the call to love god with all our hearts and our neighbor as ourselves uh, is the heart of the solution, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I suppose raised awareness that this goes on 
mm. and to try and not be oblivious to it, I guess. Um, it's been difficult for me to be the one to lead this in my church for obvious I'm reasons, sure. I think. Um, <laughs> but I have asked one of my associates to, to lead on this. And we have done, I know it's not popular with everyone, but we found it really helpful. We've done unconscious bias training as a, a staff team. We then have done it with PCC and we're yeah. about to do it to offer it to the wider church family. And that's been really, really helpful because people like me have been able to share their stories with the church family, sometimes for the first time. But also people like a lot of you watching, I imagine, just were not aware that some of these things happened to um, the minority ethnic brothers and sisters that you have come to love yeah. because they're not stories that we have shared. Mm. Um, so I think increasing awareness, taking personal responsibility, this doesn't just happen. People do mm. these things um, and making it personal. When you see uh, stories about discrimination, label them with the name of yeah the person of color mm. that you mm. know and love. Yeah. And uh, it's possible that they will have a similar story to tell and let that mm. break your heart. And, yeah. and, you know, back to the beginning, let's love God with all our hearts and each other as Jesus commands us to. Esther, I could chat with you for... <laughs> For the rest of the morning, if it was possible, and I'm sure everyone at SNL would so love to hear more. But um, thank you. Thank you for reminding us this is a gospel issue. It's right at the heart of the gospel. Yeah. And um, for those challenging and really practical insights and for sharing some of your story with us today. So, Esther, thank you so much. Well, we're really grateful. And um, I hope at some point you'll be able to come down to SNL and, and preach well, at the we moment, I, I can come and sit on a bench with someone and have a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a first step. From the 8th of March, apparently. Exactly. Great joy. Yeah. But in the, in the future, that will be fabulous. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. And thank you for just sharing your story this morning as well. It's We're really grateful. It's a real grateful. privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. So much to reflect on from what Esther shared, isn't there? And I, I wonder what inspired you most and what shocked you most. St. Augustine, a fifth century black theologian who was Bishop of Hippo in North Africa, once observed that hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain like that. And I think when we look at radical inclusion, we need those two daughters to help us tear down walls of exclusion. So let's ask the spirit to highlight in our hearts those areas where rather like the, the Pharisees, we're grubby and we are dirty. Perhaps where there's prejudice or as Esther uh, described, where there's an, un an unconscious bias. And we need to repent 
and we need to ask the Lord to cleanse us. That great prayer from 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And we want healing, don't we, across our land, across our globe, from all racial injustice and all exclusion. And we need also to think as a church family, the ways in which we pray and speak and act, that they might become more Jesus-shaped or more radically inclusive. In closing, I want to read from Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10. That reminds us of the purpose and the destiny that God has in mind for, the, for his bride right across his world. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches, and they cried out to the Lord in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Amen.